Sometimes God brings people into our lives that have a, a high impact, and Dr. James Edwards is one of those people in my own life. He's joining us today from Spokane, Washington, where he's lived since 1997, right, Jim? Right. And um, he is the Bruner Welch, Professor Emeritus of Theology at Whitworth University. Um, he's had a deep impact on college students, probably his whole career, but I um, looked online and I saw that one Whitworth student posted, Jim Edwards is the best person, period, ever, period. <clears throat> he's smart though, so if you're gonna try to get to argue with him, you better know what you're saying before you get into it. But he's very fun to debate with, really knows his stuff, and is a very godly man. That was another student? A different That's student. Fun. God has used Jim to change numerous lives, and um, like I said, mine is one of them. He was my pastor when I was in college. Um, his writing and teaching has influenced the way that I think and teach as well. He's authored many books. He's the author of commentaries on Mark and Luke and Romans. Uh, several other books. I'll give you some of the titles, Between the Swastika and the Sickle, From Christ to Christianity, and a few years ago he wrote a book that is pertinent to our discussion today called Is Jesus the Only Savior? And um, I would really recommend that if you or someone you know are wrestling with that issue that you pick up that book because it's readable and informative. So our topic today is, let me read it, I have a friend who believes that Christianity is the same as other religions. Is it? Well, Jim, um, I think maybe just a, a pretty straightforward question. Uh, what is a Christian? Are you one? And why? And uh, what, what difference does that make in your life? That's the right question to start with. Yeah. And also to end with. Well, a Christian is uh, someone who knows Jesus Christ and seeks by Christ's grace to follow him. And in my own case, uh, we all come, I think, into faith, those who come to faith in different ways. Uh, I was blessed to be raised in a house where I had a mother who was a Christian. She prayed for me uh, before I was born. My father wasn't a Christian. He, he had a hard time really getting on to first base in the Christian faith throughout his life, but he was never obstructive. He, he honored my mother, he honored me. My mother would read Bible stories to me, and as a young boy, I just grew up uh, experiencing two things, and they merged together. One of them was the love from my mother, truly agape love, and the other one was that I saw the same love that came from her in the gospel. So when I heard that God is love and Christ dies for our salvation, it wasn't hard for me to believe because I could see that love manifested, not perfectly of course, but certainly uh, genuinely in my mother. And that has continued to influence me for the rest of my life. I've never seen a contradiction between the love of God as it's expressed in the gospel and the, the same claims that are laid upon our lives. And I think when we live that way, then of course our words become representative of that way as well. So that's why I'm a Christian. 
I know that there are many people who will be joining us with this who would not call themselves Christians, uh, who would say maybe they were at some point. Um, and I think for some of them, it's just sort of been this discovery process of realizing there are other faiths and other truths and other people who genuinely believe other things. And so I think for them, they would probably say something like, well, I mean, there's that, that old metaphor of the, the wise man and the elephant. And some people find like the trunk of the elephant or the, the foot of the elephant or the tusks. And it, different world religions are like that. They, they find some piece of God and they go, he's like this. Or others find some piece of God and they say, well, he's like this. And so I think um, maybe a good question would be, can the, can the truth of God be present in all religions or in many religions? Um, and maybe what would you, you say to that? Right. Can the truth, the truth of God, be present in all religions? That, that question already presumes a lot, doesn't it? it? It presumes that God and religion are either synonymous or very closely related. But that's kind of like saying, um, is the ball same in all sports? Now, it's true that the ball is a ball is present in lots of sports, maybe the majority, but there are also sports that don't use balls, mountaineering, surfing, hiking, biking. So ball and sports are not synonymous and God and religion are not synonymous either. Um, look at it this way. Um, religion usually consists of two sets of beliefs. One of them has to do with human behavior. The other one has to do with what we would call ultimate reality. Now, I didn't use the word God there because I'll, sh I'll explain in a minute why. Let's talk about, um, about behavior first. The religions of the world are actually fairly close. They all confess a body of human behaviors that are very similar. Uh, no religion says you can kill anyone you want. Some say you can kill people. Others say you can't kill people. But no religion says you can kill anyone you want. On sexual matters, some say you can have more than one wife or some religions more than one husband. But no religion says you can have any woman or any man you want. Um, some religions say you can tell a lie to your friends, but most of them are your enemies, but most of them say that when you make a statement, you should keep it. Uh, virtually all religions have a sense of compassion for people in need, even self-sacrifice. So when we talk about what we call ethics, ethics is the uh, field of human behavior and just human behavior, concepts of justice, compassion, mercy, and so forth. The religions of the world share a great deal in common. There is a platform that we all can stand on. And so if that's what you're talking about with the elephant, then there's some truth in that. Although I think we're feeling more than just the leg or the tail or the trunk. I think we're actually feeling the beast. But now let's go to ultimate reality. Um, is the truth of God in all religions? This will surprise you. Um, but the truth of that statement is that some religions are indifferent about God. In fact, 
they're completely undecided about God. The religions of coming from Hinduism, Buddhism, um, Shintoism, uh, and Confucianism, certainly, um, do not have a concept of God. If you ask a Christian what's the uh, ultimate reality, the Christian will say God. If you ask a Hindu what's the ultimate reality, it's a state of mind. It's nirvana. God is not there. Now, it's true that Hindus have many different gods. They, call, like, they claim to have 330 million gods, but those are not the object. Those are just like traveling companions on the way to get to that state of mind called nirvana. And so it's just not the case that the truth of God is present in all religions because Christianity has a different understanding of, of God than certainly um, the most Eastern religions do. And even within our own family of faith, the Abrahamic family of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, some major differences in how God is viewed. Now that complicates matters because it, it tells us that the kind of the image of we're all groping at the same reality is actually not a very good image. Because if it's really true that we agree in basics or in major ways on ethics, but not in particulars, and ethics actually is a particular behavior in life, and very uh, much less so on God, then I think the analogy is, is not too helpful. I think one of, the, one of the things that people struggle with is this idea of, um, sometimes it, it seems um, maybe arrogant to, to talk about Christianity and in particular Jesus um, as the way or the savior. Um, could you talk about that a little bit? Right. It can seem arrogant because I hate to say this, it oftentimes is arrogant. Um, there's something about human nature, it's not just true with religion, that if I have something, Gail, that you don't, I know something that you don't. Um, if I've had an experience that you haven't, I've been someplace cool, I've met someone neat, um, what, what am I tempted to do? To put you down, to think I'm a little bit better than you. And I think that it's probably true that many Christians can look, many non-Christians can view Christians through this prism, that they see us as um, fairly unlikable, maybe even unlovable people. But that's, that's our fault. That's not the fault of the truth that we represent. And I think that Christianity, its greatest doctrine is grace. That the God that we know, we know not because we deserve to know him, not because we are any better than anyone else, but for reasons we do not know, he has revealed himself. 
and our job, we're kind of like people who are in a concentration camp, let's say. Uh, this is the human experience. And one of us actually finds a hole under the fence to get out. Well, if that person informs others of that and they get out, it's not because he's a better individual. He may be the worst scoundrel in the camp, but he's simply sharing with them some good news that he's discovered uh, that is beneficial for their lives as well as his. And that's the way I view Christianity, and I'm sure you do too. Uh, none of us claims to be better than the next person. We simply claim to have um, some news. There, it's very good news that other people want to know as well. Yeah. What would you say about those who've never heard the gospel? What would I say about those who have never heard the gospel? Well, I would say I want them to hear the gospel because I think the gospel is the, the very, very best news. Um, I studied in, in um, Zurich, Switzerland with a fine theologian by the name of Edward Schweitzer. And Schweitzer told a, a little parable to me, to us as a class one day that I've never forgotten. And like all parables, uh, its simplicity is its profundity. And the subject was exactly the one we're talking about today, and that is, should Christians share the gospel with people who are not Christians? And today we oftentimes think we shouldn't, that this is a kind of a colonial or a very patriarchal thing to do. Here's, here's what Schweitzer said. He said, suppose that I have a brother who is 20 years younger than me. When I was 20, my parents had a, a second brother. And shortly thereafter, uh, my father dies, our father dies. So I knew my father, but my younger brother never did. Let me ask the question, do I have a responsibility to my younger brother to share with him, to be a younger sister, about our father. And Schweitzer went on to say, um, I want to say three things about this. Um, I believe I have a responsibility, but it's not because I'm the better son. It, very well may be that my younger brother grows up to be a better son than I am. His character, his disposition, his choices may reflect my father's values much better than mine. So Schweitzer said, we as Christians do not share the gospel with others out of the presumption that we are better than them. We don't. The second thing that he said, I want to share this, that I need to share the story of my brother, my father, because I'm the only source of information that my brother has about his family heritage. And since we 
don't exist as islands. We're part of the main. Um, knowing where we come from and who our parents are is important. And he said, think of it finally this way. It's not an injustice or an imposition to do this. It's to acquaint my brother with his own family. Now, if we as Christians looked at sharing the gospel, whether it's the neighbor across the fence or to someone in Mongolia, in the sense that the news that we are bringing to them is not coercive, it's educational. It's not to, in any sense, dispossess, it's to inform and empower. It's to introduce people to their own family tree and their history and their destiny. Make a profound difference in the way we share it. That it's not because we are better than them in any sense. It's simply because we have, for reasons we do not know, been given some information that is essential for their well-being and joy in life. I think another um, issue that I've heard uh, kind of along this topic, but um, maybe a little bit different is if God is loving, wouldn't he let sincere believers in, who believe in other religions, they're not Christians, but they're sincere believers, good people, would, wouldn't he, if he was loving, let them into heaven? Right, we hear that, we hear, we hear that frequently. So how shall we think about that? I think this, this whole idea of God as a judge, and especially hell, complicates this subject, doesn't it? Because we fear that God is this all-powerful force is somehow going to use that force in a way that doesn't seem to us just. And so we hear lots of people saying, I don't believe in hell or I don't believe in judgment. And I think we, that's probably not the case. Most of us do. Um, the idea that God would allow the present state of circumstances to go on for eternity in which we have concentration camps and wars and cruelties and murders and slaughters and racism is a pretty uh, awful thought, isn't it? In fact, we actually do want a God who judges. We just don't want him to judge us but we most certainly wanted to judge our enemies. If I were to say to you, God is all loving and he desires that Hitler and Stalin be your, com your company forever and eternity, I doubt that that would be good news to you. Um, a heaven, an eternity that continued like this only in steroids would be the worst of hells. And so I think that we do want justice and we want a just world, 
not because we want some people to be punished, but because we all want to be cleansed of all of the dirt and filth and the selfishness and the injustice within us so that we can live in the presence of God and in the presence of other people as God wills us to. That's actually what eternal life is about. And Christianity claims that that happens because God has become a human being and is in the business of transforming those who follow that human being, Jesus Christ, into his image. Isn't that a beautiful statement? First John 3, 2 says, we do not yet know what we are going to become. So if we ask Christians, or if Christians ask us, what will heaven be like? I think it's okay to say we're not exactly sure. But here's what we have to say. We just do know one thing, that when we are in heaven, we shall be made like Christ. He is the image of God to which we are going to be transformed, and every other believer is. And here's the simple fact. For anyone who wants that transformation, the door is open. Anyone. And God also will respect those who will not walk through it. There will be no one who will be thrown into an arm lock and forced into the presence of God. That isn't love. We all know that true love allows itself to be rejected. True love does not supplant free will. True love does not coerce even to the good. I think these are these are good questions. The the thing I'm thinking is that if I were listening to this and had no faith, or had um, maybe a very kind of materialistic scientific worldview, um, listening to this, I, I think I would have a very different kind of question, which would be: I believe that most religions, um, all of them, maybe even especially Christianity, are just old superstitions uh, that get in the way of people believing in science and in reason. Uh, what would you say to that? Right. I think we we hear various renditions of that frequently, don't we? I think it's a good question. Um, and it's one actually that I agree with, and I suppose that I imagine you do as well. Here's what I would say to this. There is no conflict between the truth that God reveals to us in the gospel and reason and science. If you believe in what I would call an open universe, and that is to say that God has created this universe as a cosmic phenomenon, that's to say a system of interlinking and interrelated systems that have to work according to some order. And I believe that that's the world that science reveals to us. But that God is free at his discretion and in certain instances actually to enter into those processes himself, which I think is also 
completely rational. When you have a mechanic who creates a system or a architect who creates a house, let's say, that architect is always free to alter that or to enter into that in some way. And God's evidently would be presumably free to do the same. So I believe in an open universe, but that is not to say that God works against reason and science. He created them. He simply can also, and this is what we believe a miracle to be in some cases, work within that system by different ways. And when you read the New Testament and the Old Testament, you will discover this. This is, I'm glad you're going to have this. Just read the Bible because people will discover this is not so superstition at all. This is not like reading Harry Potter. It's not like reading, watching Star Wars. This is profoundly human. When Mary gets pregnant and she's not married, what does Joseph want to do? He wants to put her away because he obviously has misjudged this woman. God has to straighten him out and help him to see that there is more here than he's aware of. Joseph's response is entirely scientific. So we don't, I don't see, and uh, Christians don't see a contradiction between science and religion. We simply believe that Christian faith supersedes it. And we all know that science and reason cannot answer the most significant questions in life. We talked about this last time. When you decided to get married, reason and science can't answer that question for you. If you decide with your spouse to have children or not, reason or science cannot answer that question. If you decide to become a mechanic or a professor, reason or science cannot actually make that decision for you. So we live in a world in which there are choices that we have to make without the assurance of an outcome. That's life. And reason and science could advise us in those. It's like jumping out of an airplane when you are all prepared. You've got your stuff ready, but you have to make that choice to jump out of that plane. Reason doesn't do it for you. And so this is where, rather than being competitive, these fit together beautifully well. We talked about this last week. There's lots of reason to take the text of the New Testament seriously. There's lots of scientific evidence for it. But that will not make you a Christian. When Jesus says, follow thou me, that's a choice you have to make. Well, thank you, Jim, for this time. Um, we're so grateful to you and grateful to God for your, for your giftedness and your wisdom. And um, I'm going to close out this uh, message time with uh, just a short prayer. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, thank you again uh, for Jim's willingness to, to answer some difficult questions that people really do struggle with. Um, and thank you also, Lord, for uh, the word of wisdom that he just shared, that, that in the end we can hear lots of answers to lots of questions. 
but there is a, at some point a choice that we make to put our trust in you. And so I pray for anybody who is out there who um, is at that point today to just be able to say, Jesus, I maybe don't have all the answers, but I choose to trust you. And would you be glorified in that? And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Yeah.